This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome to another Liverpool.com podcast. I am Dan Morgan. This week there's been some squad rotation. It's by no means a League Cup squad. Um, but with us this week, I've got Liverpool Echo's Dan Kay. I've got Blood Red's Matt Addison and from Liverpool.com, Mark Wakefield. Gentlemen, how are we all? Very good, Dan. Nice to see good, you. Good, good, good. You too. Um, we've got plenty to smile about um, recording this today after Liverpool's 3-1 victory over Arsenal. Dan, I'll start with you first. For me, it's it's one of the it's one of the greatest Anfield performances in in recent times, and that's quite the compliment given sort of the feast of football we've had in the past couple of years. But it, you know, it's it's caveated by the shame that there can't be a, yeah. a crowd in there to see it. For me, that was. That was an incredible Liverpool performance that both in terms of modesty, intensity, tactically, you can hold up to not just Liverpool sides of yesteryear, but you know, I think tactically last night in that first half particular, you can hold them up to any kind of Saki, you know, Guardiola, any model you want, Cruyff. Mm. Liverpool were absolutely consummate. Relentless, weren't they? You know, the, the, the pressing from the first whistle was in Arsenal's face, suffocated them, chased them, didn't give them any opportunity to breathe. As, as you rightly point out, it, is, it, is, it does feel very bittersweet because, number one, we should, be, we should be able to enjoy these performances there in person, but also we should, we should be there celebrating this team, exalting this team, yeah. glorying in the fact that the, that the champions and they're already putting down a significant marker to say that they are the team to beat again. And if you want to take this title office, then you're going to have to do something absolutely extraordinary. Um, and you know, I, th- I think it's, I think one of the reasons why it was such an impressive performance was Arsenal played well. You know, Arsenal are a much different proposition to what they were. You know, the team that were beaten by the same score at Anfield just over a year ago. I think it was late August last year. I wouldn't say they've become a bit of a bogey team for Liverpool in the last you know over the last couple of months, but obviously they've beaten Liverpool twice. In that kind of dead rubber league game at the Emirates after we'd won it with the with the, the Dapper Stakes, and also in, and also in the uh, in the charity you know the, the Community Shield you know a few weeks ago at Wembley, but <laughs> to me what 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 kind of strikes in terms of my own reaction when uh, when Arsenal scored maybe in the past you go a goal down in your game you think oh well yeah well, are we going to be able to bounce back from this how are they going to react from this when that first and obviously a bit of, it was a bit of a comical goal wasn't it Robbo. You know, with his clearance that went the wrong way, Lacazette shanked it. Alisson went down too early. It always kind of happened, didn't it? It looked like one of those kind of dream sequences, wasn't it? They're all kind of yeah. in, slow, in slow motion. But it's one of them. If Adrian was in goal, he just stood up and saved it because he wouldn't. Would, yeah. He wouldn't have reacted to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but rather than kind of like whatever you know, whatever feelings of my anguish or worry that I might have felt a year or two ago, I I, I actually just kind of like laughed. And kind of, you know, because it, it, it was a comical goal in the nature of it, but also I kind of thought, well, it, it was very much against the run of play as well, because Liverpool started the game well, we'd already hit the bar through Trent. It was pretty much Arsenal's first attack. And I, I can remember what, you know, when I'm, I'm in the early 40s now, my kind of seminal years following Liverpool, <coughs> excuse me, in the 80s, when they were all conquering. And it used to sometimes have a feeling that I always used to sometimes enjoy when we go a goal down in a game. Just to almost kind of like just to make it a bit interesting, and I almost kind of feel we're getting back to that point now because this team is so good and is so capable of handling whatever obstacles are put in front of them that it's it's nice to see them just have to extend themselves that little bit more. And 
once they got into the stride last night, some of the football was sublime. Yeah, I think I think the context of the opposition is important, Mark, considering that you know Arsenal have beat Liverpool twice in the two previous games they played them in. There's there's an error in Liverpool's part in the league game because you can argue concentration was down after winning the league title, and then the Community Shield, you see Arsenal for thirty, forty minutes. Real look, really look like they've executed the plan against Liverpool. You know, the, the goal especially, Nico Williams plays that day, but they break the press, they get out and they, and they get a goal against Liverpool that, you know, that, that then helps them go on to win on penalties. It feels as though, I mean, we know Liverpool use data the way in which they do, the way in which they use sort of things that have gone against them and plans against them to counter. It feels like Liverpool, the minute that last penalty was taken at Wembley late August, we're looking at the fixture list to say, right, when have we got these at home? Because they knew they had a plan for Arsenal. And we, we talked about it pre-match, you know. I thought there was a possibility for 4-2-3-1, given the, the type of personnel available and who, who wasn't available. But it just feels like that even kind of plays into the thinking that, no, we've got our plan for Arsenal, we know how we're going to beat them. And it's basically through being relentless, as Dan says, and not letting them get out. Definitely. Um, I think what we saw again as well, especially after Liverpool went their goal down, was that every single one of them, especially Robbo, because he made a mistake, they all looked really angry, like really frustrated with themselves. Like, come on, lads, we can't let this let this go. We're playing too well here. I mean, against Chelsea, I mean, the penalty happens, and also makes a good save, and that could easily have been a, a different scoreline had that have gone in. But they held on and they absolutely played them off the park, and it was exactly the same against Arsenal. Um, you know. Like you say, it's arguably one of the greatest Anfield performances in recent times, and I'd certainly go along with that. And but in terms of individual Liverpool performances, we're only saying like it could be the same last week when they played Chelsea, and they follow that up with an even better one a week later against Arsenal. Um, two teams that have been dubbed well, not necessarily title challenging in terms of Arsenal, but certainly top four contenders. Um, certainly with the money that um, Chelsea has spent, Arsenal are starting to splash the cash as well, especially if they get a war in midfield. Um, but yeah, I just. It was just like Dan said. It was almost like a laugh that like you didn't like, just un- so unexpected. But you just expected Liverpool just to get back into the game and take the game back to Arsenal as they always have done. Eventually, the goal seemed inevitable, and I'll, I'll admit I didn't expect them to score quite so quickly as uh, Mane and uh, and Robbo did. But like you say, it was just a relentless performance. They didn't give Arsenal a moment to breathe, pretty much, and I thought. You know, the result was pretty much inevitable and it certainly flattered Arsenal, but they only scored three. Yeah, I mean, what, what struck me, Matt, I mean, everyone made a big deal out of the, the Klopp and Roy Keane thing of full-time, but I thought Arteta's post-match um, tone was really interesting. Like, you use Liverpool as, as the barometer for everything. Like, this is the side that you have to aspire to. This is the side, this is the level you have to get to. These set the bar. It's dead easy to forget. He was assistant manager to a side that got 100 points and got 98 points to beat Liverpool to a title. And for for two years, we're being talked about as a side that was going to rule for a decade. You know, he's very much part of that process. And he's almost sort of bringing Liverpool above Man City in that conversation now, which I don't know whether that's a great surprise to you. I, I, I thought it was a little bit... It wasn't what I was expecting from him, to be honest. 
Yeah, no, I think it is. It's a surprise in as much as it's Mikel Arteta and obviously he's come from Manchester City. I don't think it's a, a surprise for anybody that, that saw what happened last season, the gulf between City and, and Liverpool in the end. Liverpool are you know, rightly being talked at as the, the, the barometer, not just for, for clubs in England, but probably only Bayern Munich get closer at the moment across the world as well. So it's not a surprise in that sense, but I, I understand what you mean in terms of it being Arteta having come from you know such a, a cohesive unit as, as what Pep Guardiola had maybe not in the last few months, but certainly before that. And I can only you know, echo what the, the two other lads have said in terms of that cohesiveness of performance, that the level all across the pitch, it, it was just at that level. And it's something that we've come to, to almost expect from Liverpool now. You know, as they've said, you know, the, the mistakes, those sorts of things, it, it almost didn't matter because you knew that Liverpool were just, you know, two or three steps really ahead of Arsenal. And this is an Arsenal team that has improved under Mikel Arteta. There's no doubt about it. They looked so much more well coached. They had a cohesive plan, which, you know, for the last two or three years, as strange as it sounds, that isn't something that Arsenal really have, have had and, and have been aligned with. So, yeah, it was just, it was one of those performances where you expected Liverpool to win. I think that's a testament not only to sort of the, the quality, but also the consistency that they've shown over the last couple of years. And it was a, a reminder, really, not just for, for Mikel Arteta and Arsenal, but for the rest of the Premier League as well, that a lot of people had Manchester City as favourites for, for the title this season. I think after last night, it, it, well, certainly after the weekend that has just passed, that absolutely cannot be the case. Liverpool now, it, it's... I don't want to say it's in their hands because we're three games in, but it, it it's sort of Liverpool's to lose in the sense of the sort of level that they've reached. So, yeah, it, it was a surprise that, that Mikel Arteta used Liverpool as an example. But I think if anybody else had used that example, I don't think we'd really be talking about it in the same way. Just on the, on the point of relentlessness, Matt, I'll come back to you. You've seen, I think you've seen from the press that Liverpool put on Arsenal, um, there was a real intensity and a real desire not to let them out. And I'm, I'm sort of fascinated today by Naby Keita's role in that. I've wrote some of the Liverpool.com, it's on the site now, about how Keita basically joined in as a fourth man in the first line of press to the point where he's he's beyond uh, the front three at times, as Mark referenced in the, in the wake-up last night too. His role in this team, for me, is, is evolving in that I think we've sort of had this conception for the last year or two since we've had him of when he plays, it has to be the Naby Keita show. I think what we're seeing now is it's more, you know, he's, he's carrying the ball less from deep, he's popping it off a bit quicker and he's he's sort of giving you those numbers off the ball and defensively still. So he's becoming a lot more of a cog in the machine than sort of, you know, the, the pivot that the whole thing centres around, which we maybe were sort of guilty of thinking whenever he will play. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's a fair assessment. It's not really a case of him you know, grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck and producing a goal or, or an assist or anything like that. But it is just that cohesiveness I mentioned before, the sort of the way that, that Liverpool defended last night. And, and by defending, I don't just mean that sort of the high line and the sort of way that they set up. I mean that, that pressing from the front as well, even if it's it's someone like Salah or Mane, that's still you know part of, of the way that Liverpool set up defensively. And, you know, Cater. I think I've done a little bit of research for, for a piece that I'm writing actually this morning that, that said, you know, he's now started all three of, of Liverpool's league games this season. He didn't manage to string together three Premier League games in the entirety of last season. The most he's ever put together is four. He's only ever done that twice. You know, he's already putting himself into a sort of consistent position now to, to come in and be a cohesive part of, of this team. And you know, I said on the, the debrief that we, we did last night after the game about how 
Thiago Alcantara has obviously now come into this Liverpool team. Obviously, he's injured for the next couple of weeks, but it did almost place a question mark in my mind over what happens now with Cater because, as I say, we've seen him sort of come in and out of this team. But if he continues to, to play as he did last night and, and continues to, to stay fit, obviously, is the, the crucial thing. He's very much a key part of that team and, and very much can be the link between that midfield and the attack, not just in an attacking sense, but as you say, in terms of that pressing, in terms of the intensity, he's very much vital to that. What do you think of his start of the season, Dan? I know a few people have, you know, sort of had the whole, oh, Kite has been a bit quiet after this game or that, but as Matt's touched on, he's, you know, his role's evolving and the but the way he's doing sort of without the ball is, is becoming more crucial and you can see sort of the way in which he's now integrating into into the shape a lot more too. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, he's developing as a player in the same way that this team is developing. This is not the heavy metal crash bang wallop football of Klopp under under you know in the first couple of seasons. Um, it's not even the, maybe the slightly more prosaic side that we saw at times in the way they could dog a game out like they did in the final in Madrid. Hmm. It's about finding the right kind of balance to suit whatever challenges put in front of them on the day. And just bits of bits of reading I've done this morning around the game, and listen to a couple, a couple of you know, one podcast anyway. I went for a run before, and they made the point that you know there's a lot said about Manchester City's defence at the moment, and, and rightly so, shipping five goals at home to Leicester. You know, there's still there's still that sense there that they haven't replaced Vincent Company properly, <clears throat> and I think you know there's a the perception a lot of you know fans and even people within the game, and possibly people in the re- recruitment side at Man City have that. Well, if you fix to fix your defensive problem, you just go out and buy another sixty million pound defender. Well, and and listen, that might work out for them. You know, they're, they're, they're just bringing in some lad from Benfica, aren't they? I don't know if you signed or he's about to sign. Yeah, I can't remember his name. Diaz. Diaz, <clears throat> that's it. Um, whereas now Liverpool obviously have lost a central defender this year, Dejan Lovren, and they've made it, well, obviously we've got a week to go till the window shuts, but <clears throat> all the indications seem to be that they aren't going to be bringing in. And, uh, another centre back. Obviously, we saw Fabino play there last week at Chelsea and have a terrific game. But I, I think what we're what we're seeing is a conscious effort within the squad tactically that everybody has to maybe pick up that extra bit of defensive responsibility. Now, I mean, I think I, I thought Joe Gomez had a terrific game last night. Um, you know, he has had his injury problems. He has been in and out of the side a little bit, um, in and out over the last couple of seasons. But I thought he was. He was really sharp. You know, every every time he seemed to get the ball, and they were trying to press him at the back, he just seemed to glide away from people and just step into midfield. And he, he, he I thought it was a really encouraging performance. Van Dijk, after obviously not his best game at Anfield in the opening home game against Leeds a fortnight ago, he looked right back to his best against you know one of the best centre one one of the best centre forwards in Europe in um, in Aubameyang. But the point about Cater is, I think he's aware now that his role in the team. Is not necessarily just about picking the ball up on the edge of the box and smacking one in off the crossbar like he did against Chelsea towards the end of last season, which we all will still hope to see from time to time. Like with Wijnaldum, um, a lot of his best work kind of comes unseen and often really comes away from you know away from the TV cameras. This again is one of the drawbacks not being able to actually watch a match in the yeah. ground for, for the majority of us because obviously you only see what the TV cameras want you to see. But um, I, 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 I think. Evolution is exactly the right word. This is part of the development of Navigator's game, and he ju- he just looks more confident and self assured. And you know, he, he did look a little. I think like a rabbit in the headlights when he first arrived, 
But obviously there was the big build-up with the transfer announced the year before. By the look out, he, you know, he took a while to settle, learn the language, but he, he looks like a Liverpool player now. He looks like he's part of the squad, you know, in a you know in, in a playing sense, but also in a social sense. And I'm expecting big things from him this season. I think he, I think he can have a really really good season for Liverpool. I, th- I think Dan's spot on, Mark, isn't he? And a lot of what defines this Liverpool team is what they do off the ball and in terms of just setting themselves in terms of where they are at the pitch at any one time. You know, if you always feel if if one element of the team was off, then the whole thing sort of breaks down. And that's that's a testament to the shape that's in place. Where where Kaiser comes into that is I think like Dan says, it's very discreet sometimes the, the work in which he does, even if even down to sort of where in which he shows a player, whether to go inside or out. You know, he's very, very good at sort of shielding people into areas, blocking passing lanes and stuff like that. And, you know, when when we look at the game as a whole, we look at sort of the narratives after the game. We talk about sort of high lines and the risk-reward thing with Liverpool. You have to have those players who are tactically aware and tactically supreme. And, you know, there's no accident that Liverpool go out and sign one of the most tactically supreme footballers in world football in Thiago Alcantara. You sort of have to be at that level now. And, and I don't think you can sort of look at Keiter and doubt that, can you? No, uh, definitely not. I mean, <clears throat> he's definitely evolving as a player. He's definitely a, a different player to what we saw uh, two years ago when he first came in. And, or well, certainly a different player to what we expected we get from when, when we signed from Leipzig. So like Dan said, a massive build-up from a year before signing him. But like you say, I think I'm just very impressed with him, just how he's just <clears throat> obviously settled into the team now. But it's just... Like aware of all that's going on around him, he's like learning off the players that are around him as well. I say genial Wijnaldum is getting more and more genial-like, if that makes sense, becoming more box-to-box style midfielder, defensively sound, but also can chip in with the um, the other assist, the other goal, like we saw against Chelsea, which we hope to see more often. But the important thing is, I think, is that's not his old total game anymore. That's what we expect to get: is goals like flying in from thirty yards out, and that's not his prime game anymore that the prime game is just obviously setting the press in the field alongside like whether it's Fabinho whether it's Henderson um Wijnaldum whoever it is obviously Chamberlain Thiago no that's basically his role now and like Matt said as well he was like leading the press from the front often against Arsenal last night um he was often ahead of um, Firmino and Salah in pressing the Arsenal back for pressing the goalkeeper forcing the mistake and winning the ball back and launching another attack for his team. And I think, you know, that all comes from obviously confidence and just building and building this tight uh, the run of games that he's had in the team. Um and one run of games which you know is what obviously what we've craved from him. Um a lot of fans obviously want to see him more in the team more often, but he's in the team for a different reason than what we um initially hoped. But me personally I think it's a more important role that he's doing right now and I think he's doing it better than Certainly, most of us from the outside looking in thought he could do. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You touch on Wayne Alden there. He's someone else who, who for me is developing as sort of an underlying story of the first three games of the season. You know, there's a lot of chat about how much Liverpool actually need Genie Wayne Alden when, when all the talk around Thiago Alcantara was present. It's quietly gone under the radar that he's started the first three league games and he's been pivotal. You know, last night, I thought second half, he was Liverpool's man of the match. 
Um, I thought he, he got a second win from about 70 onwards and he was he was absolutely superb. I think I don't think there's any doubt now that whilst he might leave on a free transfer next summer, he is of crucial value to Liverpool this season and you see him why in these first three games. Yeah, yeah definitely. Think, sorry, oh, go on. Go, on. <laughs> go, ahead. go on, Mark. I'll let yeah. go with that. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll allude to what I brought about Cater. Cater's almost evolving into a Wijnaldum-style player and I think that might that might be by design rather than by accident, you know. Klopp might be well prepared for Wijnaldum leaving on a free next year. That might be Certainly, it's more it's becoming more and more likely as the weeks go on. With obviously the contract situation, no sign of him signing one as of yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously the Thiago signing that almost makes more and more sense the more it goes on. Um, Thiago becoming a more, like I say, a more reflect kind of play midfield, but the dictating play being the orchestra of the whole midfield and the attack, as well as helping out defence. Um, and Kate is almost becoming like, you know, like a prodigy to Wijnaldum doing basically doing all round sorts of like defensive side and the offensive side why not i still think obviously he's probably in his best in his peak years probably right about now even though he's like i say he's 29 a lot of players might be waning around about that age but for me he's only getting better and better since uh, since he uh, arrived um it, like you say he's played all all night uh, the full 90 minutes in all three league games and the community shield as well Klopp obviously sees him as a vital cog in Liverpool midfield but going forward like you say we could see him gradually like phase him out maybe but that if they do do that that will make it so that um if he does go on a, on a free next year that the loss is not as big and I think I've mentioned it in, um, in a piece I'm writing about him like they can learn from the likes of Manchester City in that when they've lost key players Winston Company David Silva this summer they've lost them but they've not like they, they were key players when they left and they just not replaced them. And I think you're witnessing that. They certainly witnessed it last year with the defence with Man City. And I think in midfield, David Silva going, I think that's a massive loss for them this year. They haven't directly replaced him. Not that you can, he's obviously one of, the, one of the best players in the Premier League era, if not the. So I think Klopp will learn from that. I think he'll start preparing for one album's departure if it, that is the ultimate outcome. Um, yeah, I think what more there's obviously Santiago, but I think they could probably prepare from within rather than just going out and buying a replacement. Do you think we're seeing that process already being undertaken, Matt? I think so. I think it's almost uh, the next stage of, of the evolution under Jurgen Klopp. Obviously, when he first came in, the sort of midfield area and the whole team was, you know, it was very much end to end. It was very much counter attacking. We've seen that sort of switch now to a a very controlled game and I think that was what we saw certainly in the Arsenal game if you compare how Liverpool's midfield and an entire team played against Arsenal compare that to the way that Manchester City went about their game against Leicester they were counter-attack they were all over the place at, at times out of possession and you know Liverpool very much are now a controlling and, and dominant team and, and Gini Van Alden, as you rightly say is very much a, a huge part of that I think there was kind of a, a misconception really when Thiago was being linked with Liverpool that he was Essentially, you know, if, if he arrived, there was no point having Wijnaldum there. Wijnaldum, therefore, would leave. Obviously, we now know that that isn't the case, but I don't think it ever really was likely because they are two slightly different players. They're the same in terms of they sort of dominate the, the game, but the way in which they do that, I think, is slightly different. Obviously, Thiago is very, very good on the ball at, at dictating the tempo. 
Wijnaldum sort of does it in a slightly different way, more off the ball in, in terms of winning it back and, and rotating it. So there is a, a kind of a step forward in terms of if Wijnaldum does leave, you've got other players there. Naby Keita, as we've said, can sort of do that job as well. But it's more a case of the next step and, and evolving under Jurgen Klopp rather than replacing one directly with the other, I think. Well, what strikes me, Dan, he's, he's a lot more advanced, I think, these first opening games of the season. You know, he's arriving a lot more in the box, almost playing as if he does when he's with the, the national side with Holland. Um, and, and, you know, just to touch back on the Keita chat, I wonder whether that's a part of it. You know, I wonder whether it's sort of that equilibrium of balance between, you know, one goal and one staying, but it also being quite lopsided at times too. Yeah, well, well, this is this is almost this is the position that this is the genie wine album that we thought we were getting when we signed when we signed him from Newcastle, what four or five years ago. He was, yeah. you know, the perception I had of him was another an attacking midfield player who would pop up with goals. Whereas, you know, generally over the last couple of years, he has played more, uh, deeper for Liverpool. I think one of the reasons why he's so valued by Jurgen Klopp and I think his teammates. And, and I think you know, the, the more discerning supporters that appreciate that the value of what he gives to the side, even if he's not necessarily popping up with 15, 20 goals or assists a season, is his versatility, is the fact that he can... You know, I'm not just talking... You know, I think, was it the, the first leg in Barcelona in 2019, the semi-final? was injured. He, he actually played in, mm. in one of the striker positions there. But even within games sometimes... This is one. Of, this is one of the reasons why Liverpool are such a, a, a force to be reckoned with at the moment. They've got such tactical variation that they can mix things up within within games that make it almost impossible, I think, for opponents to deal with. Because by the time they've, they've sussed out what's going on, it's too late. You know, the the, the die is cast, and often yeah. the um, which, whichever and often, and often these tactical switches can be quite subtle. The the, the the horse is bolted and, and Liverpool have already caught a couple of goals in before the opposition have worked out what's happening. I I, I, I would agree with, with with what Mark said there, and I think that the, the I think there is possibly almost like a learning process going on where Kaiser almost possibly is being maybe groomed as, as a future wine album. I think it, it does seem likely that having with him having not signed a contract now, he'll play the season out and leave on a free in the summer. And if that was to happen. I don't think anyone can say it's not been as good as £25 million as Liverpool has spent in the Klopp era. But the service he's given the club, uh, you know, I, 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 think, I, I think he's been a tremendous player for us. I, I mean, I, I'd be sad to see him go. But This is, yeah, I mean, this is the argument I always have is that we always view free transfers um, as players who leave you as bad business, whereas, you know, one of the best pieces of business Liverpool have done in modern times is let Emery, Emery Chan leave on a free. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And and that would be the case with Wijnaldum as well, because you know they they probably should have gave him a contract, maybe eighteen months, two three years ago even. Um, they've more than had the money's worth out of him, like you say. Yeah. And if if it's the best move for all parties come the end of the summer, then you know Liverpool for one are going to be saying then you know it's it's a job well done on their part in terms of a piece of business. Um, we've touched on. We've touched on the Premier League, we've touched on sort of the importance of the results loosely, Matt. It was a case where, you know, when the City result happens on on Sunday, you, you do then have the, the same old feeling of, oh, here we go again. You know, two, two games into a season and it's it's back to the old must-win scenario. I mean, do you think that'll play out this season? And, and also, you know, I think sort of coupled with that, 
how how important is it that Liverpool sort of don't get drawn into the madness of, of this season? Because I had a little dig today and there's been 104 Premier League goals scored in three games and that's with two games postponed. That's more than uh, 1920 with 82 and 1819 with 88. You know, you've got the handball farce around that currently. But it does feel like to me the lack of crowds in stadiums is, is having a detrimental effect on intensity and concentration um, across the league. And I think if there is a positive for Liverpool to take from the last two games is that they've they've sort of maintained and and driven those two things home in, in both the Chelsea and the Arsenal results. Yeah, I think it goes back to that sort of control, doesn't it? We've seen you know, lots of mad games where teams have sort of got almost a little bit carried away at times. We've seen it with you know several teams. Leeds, I think, are, are going to have several games like that. Manchester City are going to. Leicester are going to. Liverpool are a little bit more pragmatic, almost a little bit more sensible. And you know, the, the handball thing, there's nothing we can do about that. I'm of the opinion that now we've started with it, you can't really change it until the end of the season because otherwise it's not particularly fair, is it? But I'm sure plenty of, of people might have a, a different opinion on that, shall we say. In terms of you know Liverpool, the importance of, of them going on a little bit of a run, I think we saw exactly the same last season. I think once Liverpool built up a, a little bit of a lead and once they beat Manchester City in what was it, the beginning of November, something like that, that was the sort of turning point really where a lot of people saw, started to say, well, there's a, a little bit of a buffer there now. Liverpool are, are in a position where they can use that momentum and, and carry on. And you know, We all know whether there's fans there or, or not as may well be the case for you know the, the majority of this season. Momentum is very much something that Liverpool are very good at harnessing and, and using. So the first few games of every season are particularly important, I think, for every team, but especially for a team like Liverpool. If they can build up a little bit of a buffer, despite the fact that they've had you know a pretty hard start, let's not forget they've played you know Chelsea and Arsenal now to have won all of those three games, it just puts you in a, a really good stead. The fact that they've got a more difficult start to the season and possibly on paper at least at a slightly easier end to the season. You wondered whether that possibly had, had come the wrong wrong way round. Obviously you want points on the board to begin with and and then, you know, go from there. But look, if, if Liverpool can continue and, and maybe put four or five results on the spin together, it then puts you in a position where you know you, you do have a little bit of a lead, you've got a bit of, of give. I don't think they're going to win it by as many points as as what they did last season. I don't think, you know, even you know, given the, the sort of schedule and, and the issues that we've got there, that was never really going to be the case anyway, because it was kind of a, a freak season in that sort of regard. But yeah, if Liverpool can, can string a few results together, it can only put them in good stead. And the only worry I would have is if Liverpool do lose an odd game or they make a couple of mistakes and, and drop points, what's the reaction going to be from fans and things like that then I think you know, that's going to be very interesting to see because Liverpool haven't dropped points in a position where they've not been you know 18 points clear or whatever it is for a long time so I think it's you know as much as I say that the team are very sensible and very pragmatic I think uh, a few fans could do with being the same. It does feel like they pressed the reset a bit Dan doesn't it you know if you go back as far as maybe last February, March, there's there's the Atletico tie, which sort of takes its own context. But, mm. you know, Liverpool, and again, it's probably back to the risk-reward thing, but Liverpool was sort of shipping two at home to West Ham and stuff like that. And once the league was all but won, you know, th there was the inevitable and understandably um, concentration levels sort of waning a little bit to sort of answer the question of whether the fire still burns, whether whether the intensity is still there. I think you can sort of look at the last two games and you can see that sort of 
yeah, when it's when it's mattered, you know, yeah. when these big games are there, when the points are there to be to be won for. Liverpool have, have basically pressed the reset and, and being able to just find all that that type of attrition again. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you could, you could even say we saw it in the last 10 minutes against Leeds when all of a yeah. sudden it was 3-3 and Liverpool were looking at dropping points at home to a newly promoted side and they said, no, not a chance we're letting our season start like this. I think some kind of drop-off in intensity was always inevitable and we did see signs of it even before lockdown came in, in February and March. But, uh, you know, that was always going to happen because you have to remember that Liverpool haven't just been playing with this in, that intensity that saw them win, what was it, played 27, won 26, drew one, you know, which has never happened before and will never happen again. Mm. But they were essentially operating pretty much at that same level the season before. You know, they've had this, this weight of expectation, this burden of getting this league title monkey off our backs for so long. And, and, in, and by and large, they've shouldered that burden admirably. But inevitably, the, the human beings... And there were kind of, you know, just slight little creaks towards the end of last, you know, toward before the end of lockdown. And obviously, inevitably, once the title was won, it's a, it's a, it's a freakish scenario then, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? They're literally kind of, they weren't good. I don't want to say going through the motions because, you know, and you, I, quite, I, quite, I think it was after, it might have been after the game at Arsenal. I remember the clock gave a very spiky TV interview afterwards. And I remember buzzing off that at home, just pleased that he was so annoyed about it. Even though the title was won, that to me spoke of, the, how driven the man is, what a winner he is, the fact that he's not prepared to tolerate any kind of drop in standards. So, obviously, they didn't get the, the, the kind of length of close season that they would normally have. But I think, it, I think it was enough for them to, as you say, to reset, to process the fact that they've done it, they've won this league title. I also think as well, that it, I think what, what's happened in the last, well, like, like last 10 days now, isn't it, with bringing the, with bringing the, new, the two new players in, I'm always a kind of... You know, I don't want. I, I don't like it when teams buy for, for the sake of buying. And obviously, Liverpool have made mistakes in that regard in the past, and it's, and it's come back to bite us on the backside badly. But I just think, in the context of, of of what of the journey that we've been on for the last couple of years, and what we were hoping to do, the fact that you know the core of this team was all in many ways ready to go again, just having one or two new faces in there would just it would just light that little fire under them of giving them that little bit of extra hunger. And particularly the fact that, that someone like Thiago comes in, a serial winner, who's won trophy after trophy after trophy, who understands what, what it takes to retain, which, which, to be fair to most of our lads, isn't something that they have at the moment. And I just think his example, his knowledge, his nous in that regard, his example, I think we will see the benefits of that as the season goes on. Because, you know, we were talking about you know, the chances, of this, Matt mentioned the chances of the season as it goes on. Once Europe kicks in next month, basically every midweek between October and December, Liverpool are playing Premier League, Champions League, Premier League, Champions League, and that is going to be intense. And there are going to be, there is going to be the odd funny result here and there. Um, and I think we can all say with a fairly safe bet, some some Liverpool supporters' heads will fall off. <laughs> you've just got to let them get on with it. Unfortunately, that is the way of the modern game. That is the way of modern social media. And thankfully this manager, these players, I think they've been up there long enough to be shot at now. They know the territory, they know how it works. As as we can see from from Klopp's reactions to Roy Keane last night, there's still a little bit of spikiness to them that, that, the, that they're not prepared. To, if, if they feel it crosses a line, they're not, they're not worried about calling it out. But I think there's also an acceptance that you can't, you can, you can, you can control the controllables and the rest you've got to make your peace with. 
Yeah, Diogo Diogo Jota on the score line last last night, Mark on the score sheet rather. Um, you expect him to get his his berth against Arsenal on Thursday in the League Cup. Um, I mean, we're, we're obviously excited to see more of him, but I think as Dan touches on there, the League Cup side is no accident in terms of its strength, and I think I think you you may actually see. If Liverpool progress in the League Cup or they don't, you know, you might actually see sort of those early signs of, of a, a, a league team and a, and a Champions League team, if you like. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if there's there's rotation between someone like Takumi Minamino as another example every other game. Um, Liverpool are going to have to get used to those two games a week. And it feels like Thursday is another example where we might see you know, a couple more big hitters in the side to get them primed and ready for that that scenario playing out. Yeah, definitely. Um, I say, I think arguably the squad that Jurgen Klopp has built for this season is arguably the strongest that Liverpool have had, arguably for a generation. I mean, I'm trying to remember in my lifetime of sit watching Liverpool that I can't think of a squad which has been so so good in all departments, pretty much, bar the odd old creek here and there. But in general. This is arguably the best squad that we've had in a long, long time. Um, you mentioned there Jota, Minamino. You know, both of those can count themselves unlucky at times not to be in the starting eleven for a league game. Um, Jota played absolutely fantastically against Arsenal in this twenty-minute cameo. Arguably, oh, could have had a hat trick if he'd scored um, from Salah's pass, and then Salah didn't get in the way of um, of the through ball. Um, yeah, and then obviously he took his finish very, very well. He's a player that has gone a little bit under the radar after he signed because obviously. Thiago got a lot of the headlines, rightly so. And then Jota appears out of nowhere, literally linked with him, signed him within basically 24 hours. Um, yeah, that's going to be certainly going to be a big plus for Liverpool going forward. That they've got the confidence and the depth in the squad. That so the lights, not just the front three, but also in midfield. The midfield is so strong all across. I mean, I think if you're only going to pick a weak point of maybe the goalkeeping situation, Adrian. Yeah, he does have a mistake in him. That's a fact. He's obviously done that. But he also, let's not forget, he did also was a key part in Liverpool winning the first eight league games last season and then was called upon in the derby in December. Did very well. Obviously, we all know what happened in the Champions League. That's obviously out of common knowledge. But, you know, in general, the squad is just so strong in all departments that if Klopp was to bring five or six changes in for a league game, obviously for a Champions League game as well, but even for a league game, but in general, we can all have confidence that every single player can do the job that they're asked. Um, I saw it last season with the, like I just said, the derby. Klopp made, I can't remember how many changes up on head, but I think there was only about one or two Mane played, I think Van Dijk played, but in general, it was a very much a dip second string 11 and they still dismantled them. And it, it, since then, nine, 12, 10 months on, it's even stronger. You know, Jota's come in, Minamino's come in, Thiago's come in. You know, the strongest the squad is just getting stronger and stronger and fringe players are getting more and more game time. Curtis Jones, we've not mentioned him much, but he's obviously set for his a first big season, but he's gonna be a massive part going forward. Um, we saw against Lincoln. Um I expect him to start against Arsenal on Thursday. Um alongside him, who knows, Milner obviously, another player, um, who's not played much this season with injury, but another player massive for clock going forward um so yeah it's exciting times for the squad it's certainly the best i've seen and well it's certainly frightening for the rest of the league that a side that won the league by 18 points has got stronger 
it's, I mean, it, it's going to be another change side tomorrow, Matt. Um, do we think it's it's a case of? I'm not going to say shop window because it's a bit cliche, but you know, do do we expect some players beyond this game to still be there come you know next Monday? Talking like Zagreus, Shakiri, Arigi, even. I mean, you look around the squad now, and there are sort of. There are question marks where certain players get games, even with the two-game-a-week scenario that opposed before. You know, it, it does feel like the certain players that this team has now sort of moved on from. Yeah, even someone like Zerdan Shakiri wasn't on the bench, was he, on Monday? He wasn't, you know, even involved in that. So it does just go to, to show really the strength. I think it'd be interesting to, to sort of see who plays on the right side of, of the front three. Will it be possibly Shakiri again? Obviously, Harry Wilson is still there. There's there's plenty of, of different decisions. I would expect probably you know, two or three outgoings at, at least for Liverpool going forward because we know that generally Jurgen Klopp doesn't want a, a huge inflated squad. Potentially, this could be a slightly different season. Just as we've said, there's going to be so many matches. I think Tottenham have what got three games in the space of seven days, or possibly even more than that over, you know, a couple of week periods. So it's going to be a mad time for for fixtures and, and scheduling and, and needing you know more players than usual. But yeah, you look at Marco Gruich and, and what is he now? Liverpool's ninth or tenth choice midfielder. When you're considering that you you're only going to play two or three in each match, it's it's hard to see other than these odd Carabao Cup ties. You know, where does he get a game? I think it's you know it's absolutely of paramount importance. But for someone like him at the age he is, the stage of his career, I'd say the same probably for Harry Wilson as well. That that they do find themselves a move, but. Yeah, it's not a bad position and if Liverpool ended up keeping those players around, I don't think it would be a massive issue to get maybe to, to January just because of you know how many matches there's going to be. We don't know, you know how many injuries and, and things like that Liverpool are going to pick up. But yeah, as I say, generally Jurgen Klopp does like a, a smaller squad than, than most managers, so you'd expect a few different changes to be made. All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much to Dan, to Mark and to Matt. Be sure to check out liverpool.com. We've got tons of post-match content on there. We will have pre-match content. We will have more post-match content and a bit in between. Um, We hope you've enjoyed it. We shall see you next week. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.